you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis 11, kind of hold that in place, and also find <clears throat> Colossians 3 and Ephesians 2. And uh, if you didn't bring your Bibles today, there's some Bibles right there in front of you. You can look it up on your app if you can sign in to our, uh, our website, or not a website, but our Wi-Fi here. And um, you can be all ready to go because we are continuing in our series of Luke 3 and Me. And again, we're starting with Jesus and his genealogy that is written about in Luke 3, verse 23 and following. In that genealogy, it lists a lot of different names and people. And our goal is to find out how we as Christians are connected to all of those people that are in the list of Christ. Now, we won't look at all 77 that Luke uh, identifies here, but we will look at uh, those that have a significant uh, telling about in the, the Old Testament and New Testament. So what we're doing is we're finding those who, are, who jump out at, at us for some particular reason. Maybe they had a specific speech. Maybe they did something that was unusual or it was commented about in the New Testament as well. As we do this study of Luke 3 me, we started here with Jesus connected back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, Adam is the son of God, and uh, we talked about how there was failure there, so there had to be a reboot with uh, Seth, their third son, uh, because their first son killed their second son, which is, you know, that's how it all kind of started. It was all hostility and anger. Uh, Seth then uh, started that line, the promised line that we've been talking about here. And uh, just so that you have, can organize this in your mind with, as I've organized it, <clears throat> we're finishing up with the promised line. We've been talking about the lineage uh, quite a bit. Next week as we uh, begin talking about Eber and Peleg and the division of the nations, we're going to start talking about the promised land because the story then switches from the line to the land, and there's still some argument about uh, where that promised land is today and who owns that or who has rights to it. So we'll be getting into the promised land aspect for the next uh, few weeks. Then we'll get into the promised life aspect as it switches from the land, the land mass, the nation uh, where Jerusalem was, to the promise of eternal life, which is Christ. So it kind of comes full circle back to the life that was uh, promised through uh, from God to Eve. So we are kind of looking at it from that standpoint. Last week we talked about My 7 to Heaven. I just want to remind you about that project that we have. Uh, uh, we encourage our young people to be thinking about seven people that they would take to heaven with them, and we had some a good time with that. We had to kind of encourage them not to include their turtles and their dogs, but people that they would like to take to heaven with them. And my challenge to you is this. Surely you know seven people who are lost, and if Christ returned uh, this week, they would, uh, they would not be in heaven with you. And that would have to have some kind of impact on your heart and upon your, your thoughts. So my encouragement to you is to get them in the ark with you. The ark is Christ. Invite them to church. Talk to them about their faith in Christ. Do all that you can and be um, expect to be rejected as Noah was by many, but keep asking until you get those seven safely in the ark with you. So this week as we continue this focus, we're getting into 
uh, Noah's sons. We talked about Noah in the ark last week, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and we want to talk about the significance of our connection with them, because after the the complete wipeout of all other human beings on uh, this planet, all that was left was Noah and his family. So all of us in the world today come from one of the three brothers, Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Now, I talked about the SJ connection in the bulletin just kind of as a tagline, the Shem-Japheth connection, because there was this great division that took place in this line, and that was that there would be the Hebrew line, the Jewish line, and then there would be all others, which would be the Gentile nation. So by the time Christ was here on this earth and he came to preach the gospel, there was a demarcation between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews followed that line of Shem uh, from a heritage or lineage standpoint, and Japheth and Ham, the other brothers, they would have been part of the Gentile nation. So we want to talk about this from that context of Jews versus Gentiles, but even more so in what kind of division or hostility that is created. And I'll explain why when we get to Ephesians about that hostility. Now let me see if I can illustrate this for you why it matters. In the latest Pew Research on Racial Relations in America... It indicated that more work needs to be done because blacks, Hispanics, and Asians, they believe they are disadvantaged in America because of their, ethnic, their ethnicity, the color of their skin, the, the way their eyes are shaped, the color of their hair, um, uh, those types of things which make them just a little bit different. Now, you would think in the land of opportunity in America today, that that wouldn't really make much difference, right? I mean, we, we, we go about our day and, and in a normal sense. We don't think about that. That's not the number one thing upon our mind. But there's still those in our culture, in our communities, who feel like they are disadvantaged just because of the color of their skin. But studies in genetics seem to suggest that this is all superficial, that we exploit something that doesn't really matter. Because according to a Harvard study, the popular classifications of race are based chiefly on skin color with other relevant features including height, eyes, and hair. Though these physical differences may appear on a superficial level to be very dramatic, they are determined by only a minute portion of the genome. We as a species have been estimated to share, now listen to this, 99.9% of our DNA with each other. The few differences that do exist reflect differences in environments and external factors, not core biology. That study goes on to say, despite the scientific consensus that humanity is more like than unlike, the long history of racism is a somber reminder that throughout human history, a mere 0.1% of variation has been sufficient justification for committing all manner of discriminations and atrocities. The advances in human genetics and the evidence of negligible differences between races might be expected to halt racist arguments, but in fact, genetics has been used to further racist and ethnocentric arguments in our culture. 
Did you hear that? 99.9% we share DNA in common. We're alike. 0.1% we're unalike. And what is it we choose to focus upon? The 0.1%. Now this isn't a problem we created. As Billy Jill said, we didn't light the fire. I think that's what that song meant. <laughs> this has been with us since Sham, Ham, and Japheth got into a controversial split over their dad drinking too much and one of them went in and saw him naked and the other two said, no, that's not right. And if you read into the, the scripture, and I'm not going to be reading that portion of it today, but I would encourage you to read Genesis 10, 11 again sometime for the context of what we're talking about. But since the Tower of Babel, which you'll read about in Genesis 11, in which Moses explained in verse 9 of chapter 11, that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. From that time, we've had racism and nationalism. We have focused on those things that make us, that are just minutely different than the things that are alike in us. That negligible difference in our 0.01% variations in DNA have been exploited by evil forces to create an insurmountable divide between those who are different for whatever reason. Sometimes it was done for, to gain greater power by a king or a group of people over another. Sometimes it was used to suppress certain groups of people within a nation or a people's people group. But the evil exploitation was maximized in the divide created between Ham, Sham, and Japheth. But any and all hostilities we create that were created were resolved at the cross of Christ. That's why it's so important for us to understand our connection. We're all connected to Ham, Sham, and Japheth, to Sham and Japheth primarily, and I'll explain why in just a second. But even in that divisiveness that came along spiritual lines or religious lines between Jews and non-Jews that were called Gentiles, a hostility was created. The Hebrews looked at Gentiles as if they were almost like dogs. Dogs first, then Gentiles. They viewed them as lesser than human. And so in that context, the Gentiles responded in that same way. And we still see some of that ha hatred evident today. And it is uh, even more so between Ham's family that we uh, would look at that, that grew out of Ishmael, Abraham's son. And we'll get into all of that as we talk about that a little bit later on. But the, the problem here is that anytime there's any kind of difference, even if it's negligible, if it doesn't really make that much difference, we seize on that or the evil in us seizes on that to create divisiveness. Now that's the devil working in us, by the way. But when Paul was trying to explain this to his friends in Colossae, he says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 through 14. 
He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is, in, is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, why would Paul have to encourage us to understand this? We're being renewed in the knowledge of the image of our creator. We're being reminded what God created us to be. He created us to be one, one with him, one with one another. We mess that up by disobeying him principally and in the pattern that we talked about in scripture. And it created this big divide that Paul is dealing with, with the people of Colossae between Jew and Gentile. So in Christ, what Paul says, when you are renewed in the image of your creator, in other words, when we go back to our foundational principle of who we are, there is no division. There is no hostility. There is no, I'm better than you. I'm going to because I'm free and you're a slave. Or I'm this or you're that. Or I'm this religious denomination and you're that religious denomination. Paul tries to make it clear to us that God has taken care of that through the cross of Christ. We'll explain that further here in just a second. But the point of that was so that we could love one another through compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So that we could bear with one another. There's enough that we have to deal with and how we irritate with each other that requires our forgiveness that we don't need to add to it something as minute as skin color or eye color or hair color or sex. We forgive as the Lord forgave us. We all are the same. In other words, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Perfect unity is discovered in that love, in which we love one another in the way that we've been loved. It was John Newton, you guys familiar with the song, the hymn Amazing Grace? Beautiful hymn, right? It was written by John Newton, who had a near-death experience at sea, and that caused him to cry out to God, and God transformed him from a slave trader to an abolitionist. Now, I'd encourage you to read this story. There's a movie called Amazing Grace. I think you can watch it. It gives you some idea of this transformation in him, but there are also some other great stories out there about John Newton that illustrate how God got a hold of his heart and convinced him that what he was doing in trading slaves was wrong. So he worked with William Wilberforce in England to end the slave trade, and it was a difficult task because so much financially uh, was a part of that slave trade, but they, ended it, they were able to make it illegal and he would pen 280 hymns and become a preacher of God's word. 
and he would use his life to try to undo the bad that he felt like he had done. Now, what would transform his heart in such a way? Was it economic interest? No. Was it national interest? Not necessarily. He was able to overcome this evil exploitation in his own life to, to, to fight for the end of it and in the lives of others because of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus changed his heart, changed the way he looked at other people. And the only way we can do that is if we understand the fundamental work of Christ in breaking down any walls of hostility that exist between nations, races, or ethnic groups, or even between family members. You got a brother, sister, aunt, uncle, you know, they don't talk to each other anymore for whatever reason. Listen up. There's no reason for that. Because Christ broke down the walls, the reasons for us to have hostility towards one another by reminding us that we are all created in the image of God. When you see someone who's different than you, do you see them as God's child or do you see them as your enemy? You share 99.9% DNA with those people. And yet if we satisfy our hatred by just focusing on the point 0.1%, then we're allowing the evil that, that, that Satan wants to work within us to steal from us something God wants us to enjoy. Again, as Paul helped the Ephesians understand the, this fundamental truth, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 through 22. Now, this is, a long ver this is a long set of scriptures, so listen carefully or read along. I'm reading out of the NIV. I'm going to take my time with this. It says, For we are God's handiwork, or masterpiece, as we've talked about before, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, listen to this, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
Now, this is the reality of being renewed in the image of our Creator. Doesn't make any difference what hostility or barrier we've created because of our own evil interests. In the case that Paul's talking about, it was along religious lines between Jews and Gentiles. So Paul, he makes the argument that you who are far, far away, which have been the Gentiles, the Gentile nations, you who are near, the Jewish nation, you have been brought together through Christ, through his blood. And what he did was he took away the reason for the hostility. And whatever your situation might be, whoever you might have hostility towards, you need to understand that Jesus can take the reason for that hostility away. He breaks down that barrier so that you can find the common ground that you have both being made in the image of God. Now, why is that important? Because if you see someone else as an image bearer, you will celebrate the thing that you have in common and you'll minimize the thing that you have that is different. Why is that important? Well, you remember last week when we talked about uh, the human race, human beings, and the human heart? God regretted creating human beings because of the wickedness in the human race and the evil that developed in human hearts. The flood might have destroyed all human beings, save Noah and his seven, but it did not eradicate the hostilities that take place between people even brothers. Now that's why today as we continue our study of the genealogy of Jesus and we follow up the connection we have through Noah, we look at the connection we have with Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. The irony of this focus is the brothers would become the fathers of all the nations of the earth and in particular the connection we have with Shem and Japheth as our fathers. Shem would become the father of the Jews, and Japheth the father of the Gentiles, not Jews, who would settle in Asia and Europe and northern in, uh, in, towards the north. And most of us, we have our family history, our lineage comes from that place. Unless you're of African descent, then Ham would be a part of that, that DNA mix that you have. Now, intense investigation has been done to track down what we call the table of nations. You can do some research on your own about that if you want. But be sure that when you do the research, don't let it lead you to focusing upon our differences. Let it remind you that we all came from the same place. Because our concern, no matter what the situation might be, is how we can connect with one another or reconnect when a wall of hostility or a barrier has been created that's superficial and negligible in our life, be it with a family member, someone we work with, someone of a different race, creed, or orientation. Now, the evil in the human heart resulted in the wickedness in the human race. And why would we want to propagate that part because God, once again, in his position of being our creator, would regret human, creating human beings. And so there is a punishment that he set forth for that. Only now the punishment is set forth. The regret stems from our rejection of his solution 
for our evil, our wickedness. That's why we gauge everything as wickedness versus righteousness. You have the wicked versus the righteous. And we reminded you that wickedness today is rejecting Christ as our Savior. And righteousness is when we live in his grace. It's as simple as that. So God has set another date when this world, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the sun, when he will return and he'll destroy this world by fire. And the reason that's important is because it reminds us now that God has this regret because in our humanness and as human beings, as a human race, in our evil human hearts, we're rejecting the very solution that he's given us in the love that he demonstrated us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that he sent to break down the walls of hostility that might separate us, be they racial, familial, or personal. And this is an incredible gift that God has given to us. And through Christ, we must fight to tear down any superficial barrier or superficial wall we have artificially created between ourselves and anyone else. The connection with one of the three fathers of all the nations just proves we all come from Adam and Eve through Noah. And genetic studies support this truth as we all have that 99.9% DNA in common. And all of this is to say... We have a choice to redeem the promise to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Full circle. Our connection comes back to being created by God in this world for his purpose. This transforms us towards perfect unity with one another. It is when we emphasize the 0.1% difference that we increase the hostility and the anger. Now, we may be specifically children of Japheth or Ham from a DNA standpoint, I mean, from a bloodline standpoint, but we're also spiritually children of Shem, Shem through whom Christ would come. Now, there are many gen- interesting nuances found in Genesis 9, but the main th- or 9 through 11, but the main thing I want us to get here this morning is this, that if you have any hostility or there is any barrier that divides you from someone else that you know, Christ has a solution for breaking down that wall. And that is for you to look at others as being the creation of God, image bearers of God. Now, they may have evil in their hearts. They may be doing wicked things. They may be rejecting Jesus. But that's why making them one of your seven is so important. Because Jesus is the ark. He's the one that saves us now. It might help us today to understand some of the things that we read about in Genesis 9 through 11 about these divisions of nations that took place. And we'll talk about this a little more in depth when we talk about Eber and Peleg next week. But if we harbor any hostility towards anyone for any reason... We must seek Christ to help us as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, who clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And if you don't want to do that, 
then you will not be using the tool God gives you to break down that wall of hostility through Christ. Only then can we forgive, bear, and love towards unity when we see others as being made in the image of God and we demonstrate this love through our compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The first commonality that we read about in Genesis 9 through 11 is that God reaffirmed the blessing to Noah and his sons to be fruitful and increase. So the scripture says there, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you just as I gave you the green plants I now give you everything so a couple of things Joaquin Phoenix nah nah God gave us those things so don't take them away I was teasing with Jim back and forth he's the one that texted me during the, sur- the, min- the message he's asking me about Peter and, and you know uh, eating meat and I told him anyone who tries to take my steak will have to Take it out of my, what's that? Yeah, uh, never mind. Yeah. So, and uh, Seth's preaching in, at um, his church this morning, and he was told, telling me he was going to use a, uh, an illustration of how I survive off meat and potatoes. And I said, you can't, you can't talk about me without my permission. He's talking about me without my permission this morning. So, <laughs> But we have, we have this thing in common, and, and And God is the provider. Here's the thing, though, is that God is the provider of all we need through the natural resources of this planet. We don't provide stuff. We just figure out a way to take advantage of what he's already provided. We don't make gold. We dig it out. We just figure out a way to dig it out of the ground or melt down 100 cell phones to come up with an ounce of gold. Anybody else see that on Facebook? You can melt down your an ounce of gold, which is not bad, but, you know, with all the chemicals the guy was using who knows what it's going you know i'd be loopy if i tried to do that but you know we don't we i didn't make the cow but thank goodness we have people who can butcher the cow and present to me this beautiful <laughs> red meat that i love to eat i mean i you know but i didn't make the god provides everything that we, and here's the thing is god says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and why would god tell them to go fill the earth unless he was going to provide for them and then he tells them how he's going to provide for them now this is not just in a general sense this is a specific way that god says i'm going to give to you every resource that you need as i spread you out and as you are fruitful and multiply and fill this earth God is the provider of all we need through the natural resources of this planet. Now, before the restrictions provided by Moses about food and drink that we read about in Leviticus and Exodus and those other books, God gave into our hands as food for us everything that lives and moves. And since we are not uh, subject to that same law that Shem took up the, through the law of Moses, we're, we're descendants of Japheth. I'm good both ways, you know. <laughs> so God, he provides these things for us, gives us everything we need. This was a, kind of a new thing because before the flo- flood, it was believed that they just ate plants and, and fruit alone. So our common natural right, as defined by our forefathers, is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
is in respect to this blessing that God gives us, especially in this country. And even though we might still struggle to overcome past hostilities through Christ, this land is an opportunity for us all. And I know it's tough. There are laws that we have and there are rules that we have and all these different things, but why we're often exploited. We're often caused to get upset and, and, and to have hostility and, and to think about barriers and stuff like that because of the differences that are around us. Now, again, this is not a political statement or anything like this. This is just a statement of heart that whatever we do, it has to be done in love. It has to be done knowing that God can provide for all. It has to be done knowing that we are not the ones who create. He's the one who's created. We're the ones who's just given us the creative genius to figure out how to use it all. This is a land of opportunity. Doesn't mean we can't have the kinds of laws that we have to have for, for, for particular reasons, but we can't let it develop into a hatred or a hostility or barrier between people or people groups. A new, another nuance we find in the biblical record of Genesis 9 is the covenant God made with everything living, with every living creature, not to destroy the earth by the flood with a sign of a what? You guys remember what it is? Guys, it's a rainbow. So this, this is Elizabeth's way of doing rainbow. This is my way of doing rainbow, which is right. No, this is a rainbow. I'm done with it. Okay, I'm leaving. This is the sun. This is why I learned it when I was a kid. The sun. The sun. It's the sun. This is a rainbow. I want to be right about this. All right, so the scripture says, God says, I have set a rainbow in the clouds. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me. It's right here in the scripture. It says it right there. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Now, why is that important? What's the nuance of that here in Genesis? Well, the anxiety that is created by so many that we are the ones destroying our planet that it is destroyed by human beings, can confidently be dismissed because God has made it clear that only he has the power to destroy, and he will. But he's made a promise to us, he will never destroy the earth again by flood. But he's also promised, I will destroy this earth by fire. Now why is it, what, I mean, what kind of reason would it be, why would we have to, to come up with this plan, rationalize this plan, that we're the ones that are destroying the planet. Because then that makes us God. That makes us the one who have the power. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a good steward of the planet. We're supposed to be good stewards. And historically, Christians have been the most thoughtful about being good stewards of what we have here on this earth. God has made the covenant to not destroy because he has set this earth to be destroyed in a different way. The nuance in this point is we waste anxiety and time searching for reasons other than God to destroy this planet. 
read an article the other day. There's some scientists, they believe that there are aliens out there. There's no question in their mind. There are aliens out there that have, that they are part of our design. They're part of why we are the way that we are. Uh, but the reason that we can't find them or the reason that they haven't, they're not here interacting with us is because they're asleep. Yeah, they're asleep. These guys are brainiacs. They, they're, these are astrophysicists that they, they've, they've come to the conclusion based upon the evidence that's before them. I'm not sure where they're getting their evidence. Maybe they found a, Mike Lindell sent some rockets in, you know, out into the far space with some pillow toppers or some my pillows because he, know, he knows they're asleep. You know, maybe that's the evidence. I don't know. But that's their, that's their explanation. There's no doubt they're aliens, right? And what is the picture we often get when the aliens come? Is it a good one? Is it like E.T. where, you know, E.T., you know, go phone? No, it's normally Independence Day. They're coming and they're going to, they're going to reap every bit of the, the natural resources and they're going to leave us all as nothing or like War of the Worlds. They're going to suck us up and use our energy and we'll end up just being dust. Why? Why think of it in that term? Sometimes we think about it, there are those who think we're the ones destroying the planet. So please do not throw, do you guys remember any of y'all old enough when you were told you got to drink water out of a bottle? When they said you have to drink water out of a bottle, remember that? None of you remember? When we were, when we were growing up, drink water out of a bottle, you don't remember that? Man. Was that an Oklahoma thing? That... <laughs> now what are you told? Don't drink water out of a bottle. You have to get a fancy thing that purifies your water because plastic is killing the planet. All right? So we have this kind of situation where we have this anxiety that's creating us because aliens might be coming. If there's no aliens out there, we're destroying the planet because the cows are, are letting off too much wind. I don't know. <laughs> Do you ever think it's an evil distraction scheme by the devil just to keep us tossed here and there? Keep the young people always frustrated thinking, oh, we got to do this or we got to take care of that. We can't, we can't use, uh, we can't use uh, the plastic things for cans anymore. You can't use a plastic straw. Or, you know, there's always something. We're going here and there and beyond. And I've lived long enough to know that when someone says the sky is falling, the sky is falling, they're insane. <laughs> because they don't know what they're talking about. When God says, listen, you really want to be somber about something realize this i promise that i'm not going to destroy this world by the flood again here's a rainbow but i am going to destroy this world by fire and your only hope is through christ so one last observational nuance human beings have a tendency to become myopic and deluded when they try to concentrate their power together as illustrated by the tower of babel now we'll dig into this a little bit more next week but here in Genesis 11, it talks about the Tower of Babel where it says, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, the people who were building. The Lord said, If, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why the place was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, excuse me, the whole world, and the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You know, we read this story, and the nuance in it is, is interesting because this story found in Genesis 11 must have significance because it's squeezed in between the, the table of the nations and then the, the starting of the, the, the promised line and the promised land story of Shem. What we learn from this story is that God spread the nations around the world for his purpose. You think, well, why would God do this? Why did God confuse their language and spread them throughout the world? Well, Paul gives us an answer for that in Acts chapter 17. Verse 26 and following, it says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. There's first. He wanted them to inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would, listen to this, seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Again, we know we're talking about Jesus Christ. He confused their language and spread them out because he knew that if in concentrated power, speaking the same language, all they would ever do was try to rise up to overtake the creator. So he spread them out. He appointed times and places. He did this so that we would seek him so that we would honor him as Lord and creator. And then he resolves all of that in the story of Christ Jesus. Now, God's never allowed supreme power to be concentrated in the hands of the few, because every time it's been tried, it's been proven to be a grand disaster. Should I just mention Hitler? When it's been tried like Babel, God always disrupts it. And here's the, here's the promise that God makes, is he's not going to allow this to happen where just a few have the concentrated power. It may look like it at times historically, but this is a good lesson for even those in Washington to remember. When you are bloodthirsty for power, God will give it away. Now, speaking of this, the presidential primaries are coming in March. What is it, March uh, 18th here, whenever it is? Okay. So we have to go select who we want to be the next uh, either Democrat or Republican nominee for the White House. Um, Iowa has spoken. New Hampshire has spoken. Nevada has spoken. And as they speak, I'm kind of wondering, hmm, that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, politicians keep talking about 
Now listen to this connection here. Politicians keep talking about economic inequality, racial inequality, climate change. Any of those things sound familiar? But, tr but try to remember that all these things will be used as an excuse to, to concentrate power into the hands of the few. They will exploit and make other people evil in their claims and in their proclamations in order to gain power from those who would follow them so that they can exert influence and tell other people what to do. So that didn't change from Sham, Ham, and Japheth. From Sham, Ham, and Japheth, God has filled the earth with human beings who have allowed wickedness to overtake their human race and evil to guide their human hearts. We sometimes are so myopic that we only see our part in this story, but God's nation is vast and cannot be contained in one place. There's only one solution to all these issues, and that is Christ Jesus. Anyone who does not submit their, their policies and plans to him will not only fail, but fail others who follow their lead. And the same is true for us as individuals and families because only Christ has the power to break down any wall of hostility that might separate us and allow us to live in unity as one. DNA testing surprises most who take it because we find out we come from a very diverse and mingled background. If we elevate that point zero, the 0.1% of our differences against the 99.9% .9 of our commonality, we participate in the evil scheme of Satan to use God's strategy to spread us all over the world to create hostility instead of understanding it's part of God's plan. That evil prejudice which resides in the hearts of us all can only become overcome as we accept God's plan through Christ Jesus to be, and I quote, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together, together, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's God's cure for our hostility and differences. To find oneness in Christ so that we can be, through the Holy Spirit living in us, a common dwelling that gives glory and honor to our creator. That's fine to celebrate our heritage. Don't get me wrong. But we're not to elevate it above that of others. Because if we do, we're being myopic and we think we're more important than other people. The only thing we should lift up is the way that God has provided unity that we can enjoy as the dwelling in which God lives. Only that can join us through Christ. And only that can build us up to be the dwelling in which God lives. And puts us right back to where we were in the beginning that God hoped for us. Don't allow any hostility or barrier to keep you from appreciating the other image bearers of God in your world. But see them and give them the opportunity to know Christ if they don't. So together you can be a dwelling that brings glory and honor to him. Especially if they're a brother or sister or in your family.